1: Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer and this is my brother Jonah.
2: We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today.
1: Who have plenty of clarity, if I do say so myself.
2: Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. Today on the podcast, I want to tell a little story. One of the formative experiences of my early journalistic career was going to Europe with our guest.
1: You were in college, right?
2: It was my junior year of college. I think it was the summer before my junior year, and I was actually in summer school. In college, it's not summer school like you're in trouble. It's more... <laughs> right. I it's, think I had you're like You're actually
1: switched. doing... That's good to do summer school. It yeah, it's you're good really, to do it.
2: I think yeah. I had switched to like... I'd gotten into doing the zine, and I think I wanted a writing minor, and I had to take a couple extra writing classes. And I might have even been taking a magazine writing class. And I remember... What? I had interned at Alternative Press, and somehow they were like, we want you to cover this band, Jimmy World, and they're putting out this record. I think it was on DreamWorks at the time, and they were like, we're going to fly you to England. I don't think I had ever been there before. Maybe I had been there. I can't remember. But they flew me to England for like a two-page story. It was not a long story. It was very exciting for me, and I remember having to go to my teacher and be like, I'm going to miss some class because I'm doing an actual magazine story. And I don't think the teacher believed me. I think like (laughs) they thought it was made up. And I remember even being at the airport and then being like, you're only coming to England for four days and me being like, oh, yeah, what are you doing here? And I was kind of trying to explain it, but I wasn't very confident. I remember the woman at the airport was like, you're a music writer. Just say it. You can do this. Whoa,
1: that's so nice. And I
2: was like, oh, yeah, I guess I am. But it felt very surreal. And I was a fan of the band and, and, you know, familiar with their work. So, yeah, went to Europe, spent three or four days with them. They opened for Weezer, Shepherds Bush Empire, played a place called The Garage. I mean, this was over 20 years ago, but... A really formative experience. So fun. I thought this is what my whole life's going to be. And then I got home and basically downloading was invented and no magazines had any money to ever send me to Europe again for the rest of
1: my life. But you became a music journalist.
2: I did, yeah. But I think I caught the tail end of when you could get kind of flown around. Right. And also the other thing I'll say before I introduce a guest is that people familiar in England, the band changed hotels when I got there. And I was supposed to take the subway like two more stops to the stop called Gloucester. And I accidentally took a train to Gloucester, England, which is a town Whoa. in the English countryside. And I remember trying to call their tour manager or something and be like, he's like, there's a McDonald's there. I'm like, I see like a castle and trees. And I had taken a train like an hour and a half or two hours outside the city. Okay. But I was like 21 years old. Tw- I, like, I had no idea what I was doing. I made it back. Okay. I made it to the show. Yeah, I think we can just get into it there. If you haven't figured it out yet, our guest is the guitarist and vocalist for the band Jimmy World. He also introduced me to Indian food on that trip. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our old friend, Jim Atkins. Hey, Jim. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Great. Hello, hello. So do you remember that experience at all back in 2000, 2001? I do.
3: I don't remember that you accidentally went to Gloucester.
2: <laughs> yeah, I might have tried to play cool. I remember I showed up like, you guys are playing the show Shepherds Bush Empire with Weezer, and I showed up like three hours late because I was busy taking the train back into London. That's amazing. Yeah, whenever I meet someone from England and tell them that story, they know what I'm talking about and they think I'm...
1: It sounds like the difference between a train stop and a town is pretty big.
2: It's pretty big, but you know when you're that age, you just don't put stuff together. Totally. Oh, of
1: course. I'm just saying for your journey, it seems like... But did you get to see the whole show or did you...
2: I did. I got to see the show. I didn't miss anything and... Jim, you guys, I mean, I was young. I was like 21, probably. But you guys are not that, seemed older than me, but you're not that much older than me. You guys were probably, what, like no, 25, I think, 26? Yeah,
3: I couldn't have been more than 25 Yeah, at that time. We were about the same age. That's funny, though. You were like, London's really big. Yeah. I must be on a... I've been going forever, it seems yes, like. Yes,
2: I did think that. Well, it was so weird because, it, yeah, it was like the town and the subway stop had the same name. And I just basically saw the train. Yeah. I saw the sign. I'm like, oh, that's a place I want to be. I felt like someone was like, you guys had switched hotels because your hotel didn't have AC. They were like at the drive-in state here two weeks ago and they didn't have AC and we're changing hotels. And I just went fully like right off the map.
3: <laughs> it was some like, quote unquote, Rock and Roll Hotel. Yes. That I think <laughs> wow. was sort of like, you have to stay there if it's like your first time playing in London. So we stayed there. Was that your first time playing there? Yeah, that was our first time oh. in the UK. We've been to Europe before, but not over to, to to England.
2: You saw our first show in London then. Wow. And I remember the show at the garage, your amp like overheated or something. Do you remember that? The garage. Yeah. The garage. Excuse me. Yeah. And the last thing I know we've touched on this is Indian food. Never had it and then got really spoiled having it with you guys in England and then came back to the States. I was like, oh, it's actually oh, yeah.
3: way better over there. We went to that crazy uh, Harry Potter room where you walk in through a door and then all of a sudden it's this giant space yes. with a downstairs. You remember that, right? Yeah. Uh, vaguely.
2: Oh, yes. vaguely, this was, ah. yeah. And then, you know what's interesting is me and Vanessa were in England and I think we Hit you up for like restaurant recommendations or on the train wreck tour. Do you remember that?
1: Jonah came with me when I was allowed to bring a plus one on the train wreck European tour for the train wreck movie. And I didn't understand it, that they meant a publicist. So I was like, Jonah, do you want to come? And you maybe are the person who gave us this recommendation. We went to that Indian restaurant, Dishoom, Oh, nice. Which then became your favorite restaurant, Jonah.
2: Oh, man. So good.
1: If you'll recall.
2: Now, so good. Yeah.
1: That's pretty incredible that you guys were on that trip together. But I just want to say, I feel like then there were more domestic and international shows that both of us got to go to. Because remember, when I was in college at UPenn, we went and saw you guys in Philly. Oh, yeah,
3: that's right. I remember going Lorenzo and Sons with you guys. Yes. Yes. We got some pizza.
1: That's a pizza place. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm getting pizza with my bro and Jimmy World. (laughs) And I guess everyone in my college can absolutely go take a hike because I'm so much cooler than them now. And then I just want to say my junior year of college, I studied abroad in Paris and I went and saw you guys. I was like, I can definitely go backstage, even though my brother's not here. And it was so hard to get backstage at the end, but I somehow got backstage and you guys were playing with Midtown. This was the point in my life when I was in college that I was bragging about Jonah so much. Like every other (laughs) word was like, yeah, my brother's a music journalist. He's probably (laughs) interviewing this band. He's this. And anyone that I met that was even like, somehow connected to music. I was like, do you know my brother, Jonah Bayer? And a lot of times they'd be like, no, no. But I'd be like, nah, you probably do. You just had, you know, you're just being stupid or whatever. But the one time I didn't bring it up was when we were trying to get backstage and we finally got backstage and first we were just talking to the Midtown guys. And I didn't bring up Jonah, and I learned later that if I had, they actually knew him. Anyway, I didn't bring them up, but we still got backstage. And then I think I just came backstage, and you probably don't remember this, but I said to you guys, like, I'm Jonah's sister. I just want to say hi. It was a really great show. And this is something else I just remembered while we are talking about this. I think your drummer had just had a baby. Oh, yeah, probably. I don't know. Jonah must have told me that. And I said to him, I heard you just had a baby. And he gave me such a dirty look (laughs) because I don't know what he thought I was going to (laughs) say. And then I went, congratulations. And then he like warmed up and he was like, oh, thanks so much. It's like, to this day, I still remember it. I don't know what he thought I was going to say. Like, I don't know if he thought I was going to be like, I heard you just had a baby. You're going to fucking suck as a dad. Like, I don't know why he was giving me
3: such a dirty
2: look about He's probably surprised that anybody, like, knew that. Right, right. That's
1: pretty personal info. Believe me, I know where I was in my life. I'm sure I told every single person before I said a word to them, I'm Jonah Bayer's sister. So that's how I knew. You know, it was just so... I still remember him just being like... Looking at me so mean. <laughs> and then as soon as I said, congratulations, he was like, oh, thanks so much.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's funny. The other thing I remember very well about that trip is that someone had an advanced copy of the first Tenacious D record. And that was oh, like yeah. such oh, a big huge. deal. Like we we're like obsessed with it. Yeah. We went to Tate Modern. Yep. Went to Tape Modern Whoa. and I forgot my tape recorder and it was like, oh, I'm here in England doing this interview and Jim, you were so nice about it. I was so nervous. I was like, I can't believe I forgot my tape recorder. This is the whole reason I'm here. And you're like, don't worry about it. We'll just do it later.
1: Did you re-record an interview?
2: I just kind of took some notes and constructed it, Yeah, you know, some details from my mind and then I, we had plenty of time to talk. But yeah, Jim, that, can you believe that was, I guess that was, a. The album, is it called Bleed American Again now or is it?
3: Yeah, yeah, sure.
2: Okay. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, I call it Bleed American just because it's easier. Yeah. It's so interesting to me looking back on your career because I associated you guys so much with Chrissy Front Drive, Mineral, Jejune, and stuff. And that era was like 20 years ago. That was when you sort of crossed over. How do you kind of look back at that sort of time when you were just, that album, because I don't even think Bleed American was quite out yet. It might have like just come out. Just come out. I had a promo or something, I think.
3: Yeah. There's a big part of me that still identifies as that kid. Yeah. You know, like the uh, formation of the band to Bleed American kind of taking off is still like, I have to kind of remind myself sometimes that that's not where I'm at right. right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like that long ago. Like I can remember stuff about that trip, don't remember people I met last week.
1: Sure. Right.
3: Yes. But stuff like that, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, and then we went to Tate Modern and then we went to that Indian food place and then we sat across from where the box office was for Garage in the Grass and talked for a while for your interview.
2: Yep. So yeah, it's weird how you can remember these really specific things from a long time ago but can't remember like when to get the oil changed in your car or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. You know, something we talk about a lot on this podcast are music videos from the 90s, 80s, 2000s. And this phenomenon of movie videos where, like, trailers are in the video or even, like, the actors from the film are in the music video. And, you know, you have the Never Been Kissed video, obviously, from Clarity for Lucky Denver Mint. And Drew Barrymore, scenes from the movie are in the video. But then there's a video of you guys, like, playing Ultimate Frisbee and basketball. When you saw the video with the stuff from the movie in it, I've always wondered this, like, Did you have any say in that? Or was it like they just took your video and just spliced in like a trailer for Never Been Kissed?
3: We had no leverage to (laughs) have creative control over anything. Like we were like, we shouldn't even been on (laughs) Capital. Like we we had no business being like even there. So we didn't, we couldn't like, oh yeah, Drew, I have some notes about this edit here. Okay. No.
1: (laughs) But when you found out your song was in that movie and so prominently like wasn't that so cool?
3: Oh, it was such a trip, man. Like yeah. um, I remember she was doing a promo for that movie and there was something she was doing with, not K-Rock, it was something with like Radio 1 or, or like it was going to be syndicated and she was doing like a radio thing and Tom and I went to the station where she was and we played that song, Acoustic, and she was in the room hanging out. It was like
1: wow.
3: I mean, and this is like before a gig at like the Glass House or something. Sure, you know, like not as an underplay as that is our <laughs> maximum, maximum <laughs> place we can play is the Glass yeah. House. That was weird. It's still weird to think about stuff like that. You know, like
1: I have to think the middle has been in every movie yeah. that came out. But right,
3: you know, I don't know. It wasn't in that many movies. I think like once it sort of started to connect with people and take off, we got a little bit more like oh, we should maybe like protect where we send this out. Oh,
1: interesting. Interesting. So, that's so cool though, to be in that position where you have to like start being like...
2: Yeah, we should say no to some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's really good. Well, I think it's like when you're coming out of this scene, like this punk DIY scene, it's like when you start getting success, it can be... You want to stick to your ideals, sure, but it can be hard to say no to stuff because you're used to it being on such a small scale when people are like offering you... Stuff, it's hard. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to pay my rent. I, you know what I mean? Yeah.
3: The scene that we came from was definitely more of a sleeping on floors and trying to do your own thing with the help of like minded people that you met along the way. The only kind of pushback we got was just from people that were concerned about us getting screwed over because Lord knows there's some stories about that. I mean, it's, it's
2: right, sure,
3: it happens. I mean, like you said, there was a lot of money. And it only took one breakout hit to pay for like half a dozen development deals that didn't go anywhere and, and the record getting shelved. Sure. Right, and sure. and right, never right, being right. heard of again. You know, like that was a thing. For sure. Yeah. So people were concerned, you know, they were just looking out for us. Our bros. Yes.
2: Totally. Were you watching a lot of like MTV and that kind of stuff when you were growing up speaking at sort of music videos? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I remember we got cable as yes. a kid and that was a
3: huge leap. Yeah. That was around, you know, birth of MTV era, 84, uh-huh. 86. There's so much of, of who I I'd identify with now as that kid, yeah, too. Like, it's still there. A lot of it's there. I mean, the foundation is sort of in that, you know? I wouldn't be here talking to you, doing anything, if it wasn't for that era
2: MTV, for sure. What were some of your... fit Like, were you... Because we did a whole episode about the Guns N' Roses trilogy. Obviously, those videos oh are pretty... Incredible. What were some of your favorite videos from that era?
3: Man, you know, I think like just the I was really interested in learning guitar. Okay. My parents made me take piano lessons. Same. And my dad played guitar a little bit. So there was guitars around the house and I would try to play that, you know, just cuz. But I got really interested in wanting to like learn guitar when I started watching videos like The Reflex or, you know, Rock You Like a Hurricane or Foolin'. The giant like wall. Of water coming out to splash the crowd and reflex, you know, like, and just like Def Leppard walking around with a giant glowing sword and, you know, Beyond Thunderdome, Scorpions, Rocker Chicks. I was like, oh, dude, I want to, that looks rad. I want to play guitar. <laughs> so um, I started taking guitar lessons after that, you know. Okay. The more like theatrical, for lack of a better term, hair metal kind of vibe stuff. was Heavy
1: metal, theatrical. Now, I was a huge fan of the band Vixen. Were you into them? And do you remember them at
3: all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't go that deep on Vixen. I'm kind of like a, yeah. a surface <laughs> yeah, level yeah, yeah, yeah. Vixen.
2: Sure. You're on the edge of the broken heart. Edge of Broken Heart is great. Edge of Broken yeah.
3: Heart yeah, is a great song. Edge of Broken heart,
1: heart was my fave song. And if you watch the music video closely, Richard Marks makes an appearance. I think he was producing it. And I guess
3: that's... Richard Marks was producing Vixen? I think he I got, was
1: producing Vixen. Are you sure, Vanessa? You, I know you guys think I'm making this up, but I'm like 90... I know we're going to... Okay, I'll i don't think you. either I'm of like,
2: us are confident enough to say you're wrong, but well, I, this is news to me.
1: I hate to break it to you, but I'm 99.9% <laughs> sure that Richard Marks was producing Vixen. And I also am 100% sure that he went on to marry Daisy Fuentes and save someone on an airplane while he was on the plane with Daisy Fuentes. <laughs> Okay, wait, it looks like we've got some breaking (laughs) news from Olivia.
2: Wait, wait, Breaking I, news. I think 30 break year old breaking news.
1: Richard Marks, one of the late 1980s most successful recording artists, was heavily involved in Vixen's early career, co producing the album and writing one of their highest starting singles. He wrote Edge of a Broken Heart.
3: Wow. I can see that. Yeah.
1: That's. Now that you say that, I can't. You're kind of changing your that. tune, Jim.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Jonah, do you have anything to say for yourself?
2: I'm shocked. I mean, I'm surprised <laughs> I didn't know that. I will say I'm not an expert on either of these artists, so I. <laughs> I wasn't snotty, but I wasn't like like. Um, no, you
1: weren't being snotty about it. You were just like kind of. I think know.
2: He, here's what I think happened. I think Vanessa's so excited to have like a one-up like music news <laughs> thing on me and you that she's really wants to savor this. Yeah, moment.
1: because you guys know a little more about music than me, but also Jonah very condescending. Um, <laughs> I <wanted> say, <laughs> the other music video from that era that really struck a chord with me was the Wild Wild West video.
3: Oh yeah, so It's like a chair
1: and like a, body parts kind of thing. Yeah. And I just want to say that my... <laughs> Jim, you probably haven't heard me talk about this, even though when we met, I was active in it. I was in an all-female sketch comedy and musical parody troupe in college called Bloomers. And in Bloomers, we opened one of our shows with that song. We did a parody of the Wild Wild West song. And for our listeners, we're not talking about the Will Smith one. We're talking about... Escape Club. Escape Club. Escape Club. We're talking about the Escape Club one. And the theme of the show was like the Wild West, the song that we opened the show was was like bloomers in the wild wild west okay so it's time for commercial break
2: <laughs> <laughs> wait the theme of this the song already goes wild wild west though so, I,
1: I so one of the things that we did a lot was like we would quote unquote parody songs but we keep a lot of the words the same
2: keep the
3: words the same it's not exactly in the chorus parody.
1: especially in the chorus
3: okay so yeah i bet it killed yeah <laughs> it still kills today really Escape clubs, huge.
1: It's a cool video, but anyway. So I knew the thing about Richard Marks, and we're going to go to a commercial bank right now. <laughs>
2: All right, and we are back. So Jim, we went out to you for Topic, and you came out with some great picks, and the one we decided on was skateboarding, which is, you know, something that I think a lot of us can relate to. And what's your kind of relationship to skating? Did you skate a lot as a kid, as a teenager? What's your experience? Yeah, I skated a lot as a kid. Okay. I think up until... You know, again, that
3: time frame kind of around, it sort of blends in with starting to play guitar, I think for the first time ever, I'll say that I bought the Volterra skate deck after I saw Back to the Future. Okay. Kind of like the movie theater that I saw Back to the Future room is right next to a skate shop called Bear Cover and went from the movie theater out of the movie theater over to there and bought the Volterra skate deck that Marty McFly has. That was the start of it. The most uncool way to start skating (laughs) ever.
2: Yeah. That's so funny you mentioned that because you know how I feel like this is something that comes on the podcast too. Sometimes there's like rumors or something that like everyone believes, even though it's like pre-internet and you don't understand how everyone hears this, but- Do you remember when Back to the Future 2 came out and everyone was like, those hoverboards are real. They're going to be like coming out like really soon. (laughs) Like everyone was like, no, I know it looks crazy, but like they're actually, they have the technology (laughs) and it's now what, 30 years later, like, I don't think they do. Did you hear that?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It it didn't seem like that far off. I mean, they did. Nike did end up making those shoes at some point though. Okay. I don't know if they did the full (laughs) like self-closing. Gotcha.
1: Gotcha. There was a model
2: for that shoe. I don't know. Okay. I didn't know
3: that. I kind
1: of remember hearing this thing about hoverboards that they were gonna be real too.
2: Yeah. And I'd yeah. like,
1: how will that
2: I had some long conversations about where people were like, no, they put magnets under the street and then there's a magnet on the bottom <laughs> and they can't touch, so you'll actually like hover around like I think kids had kind of made up a whole narrative around it.
1: That just reminded me of being at like Monday night like temple, like Hebrew school. And I remember Lindsay Fishleader was like for my birthday, like in a year, phones are gonna come out where you can see the other person's face. As they're talking. And I was like, no way. And she's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm that's what I'm gonna get for my birthday next year. And it's just so funny because at that time that and hoverboard seemed like equally <laughs> insane. Whereas like now, like seeing someone while you're talking, like we're doing it right now. It's like sure so easy. Yeah. <laughs> like it's interesting what actually turned out to be a futuristic thing that was not a big deal and what they still haven't figured out.
3: Yeah, like people's uh, science fiction predictions of the future were based on current technology. So you have like in Total Recall, when they're doing like video chat, it's like the most awkward giant thing. Or in like Aliens, when Sigourney Weaver's kicking it in her her space pod and with her cat and like all the computer monitors look like Commodore 2LCs, you know, it's like-
1: Or even in Inspector Gadget, you know how his assistant has like that book? I'm really glad that we thought of this because I've been meaning to say this. In Inspector Gadget, is it Penny? His I think it's Penny. Penny. She has like this booklet that opens and it's like an iPad. It, she can like do all this stuff in this book because it's like electronic. And you go, oh my God, that's so incredible. She has technology right at her fingertips in like a little book, like what an <laughs> iPad is. And now it would be like, yeah, that's just an iPad. And what iPads can do is like so much more than what her little book could do. I don't know. I can't tell if I'm happy or sad about it. <laughs>
2: Jim, let me ask you this: Like when you were skating? No, I want
1: to talk more about this. No, go. Okay.
2: Ahead. <laughs> yeah, we do. I know, I'm, sure, I'm sure everyone does. Listen, you anything else to say about Penny's Proto iPad from Inspector Gadget? Before I get back to the topic.
1: Okay, I can't think of anything right now, but I reserve the right to come back to it. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. Just let us know. <laughs> Jim, were you into like the whole kind of scene? Like were you into the fashion of skating, like the magazines the videos? Because there's like so much that goes with that culture, right?
3: Yeah, I think for me at that time, it was before band stuff started happening. It was before, kind of once I really got into guitar and started getting okay at it, and started playing with other people, like our drummer, that just sort of took up all my spare time. I'd never achieved that level of greatness where I could just shred, you know, like it falling hurt. And I was just, you know, so when I was like the most into it, I wasn't that good. I was a little (laughs) kid, but I kind of lived for like the immersing myself in the imagination of being able to shred. Sure. You know, like, yeah, me and my friends, like none of us could actually really skate that well but that's all we did. Yeah. There was nowhere to skate. Like, Was there a park or you were doing more doing like driveway street stuff? The most exciting thing we had were like, you know, parking blocks at the supermarket around the corner. Okay. <laughs> street style. Totally. It was not widely cool. There was nowhere to skate. People yell at you all the time. Okay. You know, like it was very much an outsider kind of thing. Like it wasn't accepted by anyone other than us, you know. There were some like halfway decent ramps Around okay. the Phoenix area, like there'd be pros that would show up at the seller's half in Mesa. Okay. I remember Christian Hissoy had a picture in Thrasher of him doing a Christ air at the seller's half pipe and in some for some ad, and God, that just popped in my mind. That's like the name of the person's house that had the half that Christian Hasoy skated at that had a picture in Thrasher once.
1: Wow.
2: God. Did you ever skate the half pipe there? No. No, I can't skate at half pipe. I was like, we skated their launch ramp in front, though. Were you listening to like Pennywise or any of that kind of SoCal? No, this like, is before all that. This is before
3: any of that, man. Like, we didn't know about any of that stuff. It was like maybe the Violent Femmes' first album was kind of our skate rock.
2: <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know, our cousin Jed, I think, was listening to music in that era. And I remember he introduced me to that Violent Femmes record and like... He was listening to like Scatterbrain and like oh God yeah. Day. Don't call me yeah. dude. I think the album he had was actually Scam Boogery, if you remember that one. It's like the cover is a cartoon of a kid, like holding a kite that's about to get struck by lightning is about to step in a puddle or something. It's like really interesting. And the other record that he was so into was that Dead Milkman Bub record. Oh, yeah, that's a great record. That's a great record. I was a big Dead Milkman fan. I still am, really. You would probably like our cousin because you guys have very similar taste in music <laughs> from the Sarah.
1: And he's also so nice. Yeah, he's
2: also so nice.
1: And he's a doctor.
2: Yeah. So you were listening to more of that kind of alternative type, that kind of stuff? Basically, yeah. This is before punk
3: rock, you yeah. know. So it was like the hair metal stuff, kind of not really into any one scene, but was excited about everything, you know. Sure. Like, yeah. I've never had to put this into like these these kinds of define it like this before, but yeah, it was before a lot of the stuff that like turned into hardcore niches and scenes. Like Mesa wasn't cool. There was no thriving any scene. Right. It's just like a pretty vanilla suburb of Phoenix. Yeah. And, you know, most of it was Orange Groves at the time. Skating was definitely like a, it was a place that you sort of immersed yourself in, in almost like a Zen kind of way. Like imagining that you're much better than you are. You know you're not that good. But when you're skating around, it's just sort of like this meditative practice of imagining that where you're skating is much cooler And the tricks that you're doing are are being much more well-received with a non-existent audience. (laughs) You know, I don't even know how many like fingerboards I got taken away in school because I would just be lost. Like imagining my desk was like this floating concrete jungle in space. And I was shredding the gap between my pencil case and my uh unread copy of grid expectations doing three thousand <laughs> rotation kickflips in zero gravity, you know, like I get it. Yeah. That was me.
1: I'm not a skateboarder myself, but surprise, surprise. I, th- I
2: think I think we we I think we can, we
3: knew. When that. you're
1: a skateboard, does anyone do it? You know how some people were like cross country ski and like the point of that skiing is not to like do tricks downhill skiing, but it's like not that downhill skiing is just to do tricks, but Do you skateboard? Do you ever just go like, I just want to skate? to get from point A to point B or just to skate? like, Or do you always, when you're skateboarding, have sort of the feeling of like, I want to do a trick?
3: No, it was definitely, I mean, it was fun to just cruise around and like yeah. kind of carve turns. You know, yeah. I mean, just really basic kind of moves, but be going fast. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely skaters out there that were championing just the mindset that you would get in skating. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was for a reason or to progress in some sort of you know, level of skill. It was just about getting out there
2: and doing something. I got into skating actually in my 20s, a little later in life, after our trip to Europe, Jim. Oh, really? Yeah, I started working at Alternative Press. I started skating with a friend of mine. His name's John Stewart, not from The Daily Show, different John Stewart. And he got me into skating. This is so funny. I haven't thought about this in so long. I would go before work to this skate park off the freeway by myself. (laughs) And it was a really bad skate park. There was never anyone there. And this was probably like eight, nine in the morning. And I would like skate for like an hour by myself in this empty park. And then I would go to work. And I remember going to work like so sweaty. (laughs)
1: Like, Wait, Jonah, this was during school? This was... No,
2: this was when I worked at Alternative Press. This was like 2004 or something. You know, I was well into my 20s. And I was, yeah, I, I just got into it. I bought like a Tony Hawk DVD to try to learn how to ollie. I was like for YouTube and I could never get it. I mean, it's like I wanted so bad to be good at skateboarding. And I just could never, it just never clicked for me.
3: Yeah, like that's what you had to do though. I mean, it wasn't easy. Access to information wasn't readily available. Right. The people that could like clue you into something that you you would be able to get better at and give you tips, like they were few and far between. They were like the older kids that like you are not going to hang out with because you are not cool enough, man. Right. It sort of taught me some things, you know, like you have to sort of check your expectations for beyond what is in front of you and just like find reward in the practice of it itself. You know, like, can you go out and shoot free throws by yourself for an hour and and have fun? You know, like it's not, that's sort of the type of kid I was. I mean, and that's kind of like why I think I sort of took off playing music because it's the same sort of thing. Like, can you sit in your room and noodle around with something like over and over and over and over and and feel yourself getting like just a little bit progressively better at it each time? Is that reward enough? Because that's all you're going to get. So it better be good enough. Or you're gonna find something else to do with your time because like that's all there is. Right.
1: I think that's why I was so into skip it, because you could just sit by yourself and do it for like a long time and then you could see if you could be your own score. I know it sounds like I'm joking, but like it was like a good thing of like bettering yourself and kids that can do that, pretty good skill to learn that you can kind of like amuse yourself.
3: Yeah. It becomes a meditation. You're active, your mind is active, you're physically active, you're repeating a task, but you're not necessarily Focusing intently present on every single movement, you're just kind of like doing it
2: and you transcend. Yeah. Well, yeah, it forces you to be in the present moment, right? Which is like, that's what it's all about.
1: Jonah has a hard time with. (laughs) Just kidding.
2: (laughs) We all have a hard time with that. That's a life skill. Did you have any, like, we talked a little before the podcast about Bones Brigade. Did you have any, like, skaters you were really into, like, following or anything like that? Reading about in Thrasher, that kind of stuff? Yeah, like, you know, like, Lance Mountain and, and Tony Hawk were kind of the skate decks. Oh, the Powell decks
3: were, like, pretty much all I had. I always liked Rodney Mullen, even though, like, the freestyle skating was sort of a mystery to me, you could tell that like he was on another level, yeah. And it's so funny that skating basically
2: turned into what he was doing all this time, you know, like it's pretty wild, yeah. When I worked at APA, I used to work on the Warp Tour. Did you ever go to the Warp Tour or play the Warp Tour or anything? That was like a that? big
1: skating thing, right? Because of the vans and stuff, yeah.
2: They had half pipes there at some point, they had, yeah,
1: it was yeah. In the, in the by beginning,
3: vans. it was sort of like more of that, like a precursor yes. to the X kind of world games, extreme, what have you.
2: Was that post your kind of skating? That was career skating. That was, was definitely
3: like when I got more into playing guitar as, as like the the meditative practice.
2: Did you guys ever play Warp Tour or no? Oh, you yeah. Never, you did? We did maybe a week and a half of it in a van
3: in like 97, I think. 98, okay. maybe? And then we did about a month and a half in 2000, kind of right before we went on that Europe trip. Wow. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting tour because it's like so many people. It's I was usually on a bus, sponsored bus. But yeah, doing it in a van, I think it would be pretty intense. Hell. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Johnny, you had a skateboarding computer game.
2: Did I? It probably was one of those early Tony Hawk games. Or
1: it was like the California...
2: Oh, no. The Ocean Pacific. There yeah. was like an... O. Yes. That was a really... It was like a skating and surfing Ocean Pacific game for Nintendo. You're right.
1: Yeah. Oh, it was a Nintendo game?
2: I think so. That was okay. really... That was a really... Jim, do you remember that at all? I don't remember that one.
1: I remember watching you play it for hours, which is why I think it's a computer game, because I feel like we were in... You might the be. computer room... And just you playing for hours of you just going video games, computer games have changed a lot, but just you going down this half pipe and up the half pipe. And then like, like that was just like the whole game.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to look it up because yeah, it was, yeah, I do remember that game. Jim, were you into video games at all or you were just kind of skating and then you were shredding on guitar and then that was kind of your thing? I was into it. That was
3: kind of before the whole open world yeah. video game thing started happening. It was really just like either scrolling stuff or other sort of wacky concepts like Zelda. Zelda Zelda was a huge, okay. it was a huge, huge for us leap too. forward. You know, I guess that's sort of a precursor to the giant open world stuff. But I mean,
2: for sure. Well, I guess like what I'm getting at here is like, you know, you grew up in this kind of interesting time, like kind of right before all this stuff happened. And to me, it's like when I listen to like early Jimmy World stuff or Static Prevails or something, it's such a unique sound. And I wonder if like the fact that there weren't all these distractions and you were so into the guitar and stuff kind of helped you kind of create with the band like this kind of thing that was so original and so personal sort of to you as people.
3: Yeah, definitely. My environment fostered it. We were very fortunate that we had the experience that we did because there wasn't a lot happening. We weren't nearly the distractions that are available now. Right. So it was just about making your own fun. And when you found something that was fun to make, the likelihood of it breaking out of the scene that you had was very, very low. So it's sort of like, you can do whatever you want. The bad news is like, no one's going to care. Right, right. Have fun doing whatever you want. Hope you're having fun because no one's going to care, really. Right. You know, I mean, but embracing that, then you start making choices for the simple reward of it rather than like some kind of agenda. You know, so it's like, as things sort of progressed with our band and we got more opportunities, we had this natural, this sort of healthy way to, Look at it all. By the time we had um the opportunity to do something with capital, we laughed at it. It was like, well, yeah, you know, we'll have some funny stories about going to LA. Right. At worst we'll have some funny stories about going to LA, you know. That was how we looked at it. We didn't really, you know, we weren't trying to make it, you know. It was just dumb.
1: Do you as an adult now ever have any desire to skateboard? Like do you ever Do it. Do you currently own a skateboard? Do you have any...
3: Plans of going pro.
1: Plans of going pro, I guess.
3: Yeah, no plans of going pro. Okay. No plans of going sponsored AM. There was a minute where I was thinking, like, I could do a mini ramp with no vert in my backyard. Yeah. That'd be cool.
1: Yeah. My friend Kate and her husband Jake did that. I think they have a full half pipe now that they built. And it's like, as an adult, you can do whatever you want, you know? So.
3: <laughs> Isn't that cool? You could do yeah. whatever you want, man. It's like the dream is, is real. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, you should do it.
1: You should do it.
3: One of my good friends, like I was hanging out with him. He had his arm in a, in a sling and like yeah. pins kind of sticking out of it. And that he was just standing on a skateboard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's tough. That's tough. He's like, well,
3: I guess that's I guess I'm not
2: gonna skate anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think you get in your forties and you like look at a skateboard and get injured. <laughs> <laughs> and it hurts too. It's like yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. That's oh, why I don't
3: skate. Is like, oh dude. The yeah. worst. You know, you do a kickflip and it's just like you land on your shins and it's just like, oh God.
1: I don't even know what a kickflip is, but it sounds dangerous. Our producer Olivia said, build it and they will come or shred. Olivia, what's going on over there? Just kidding. You're right, Jonah. Do you own a skateboard? Or are you gonna build some kind of half? No,
2: you know what? I I was thinking about it. I had a skateboard, and I think I was on tour with my old band, and I left it at someone's house, and that was it. That was the and end of my career. I didn't have I didn't have a skateboard be. anymore, and it never really revisited it. I do have some skateboard decks in our parents' basement house that I got like promotional. Like I think I have like some. What like, are
1: skateboard an, decks?
2: The actual thing, like the wheels go on and the bearings and the trucks and everything. It's the actual...
1: Oh, it's like... And then you put the... It's
2: just the board part. Just the board part. But sometimes bands would make them, like, promotionally. Like, I think I have an Under Oath skateboard deck someone sent me. Okay, okay. So I have some decks that I got for free that I probably could set up sometime, but probably won't happen. So
1: if you have the deck, that's basically the skateboard, right? And you just got to get the bottom part. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You just got to buy wheels and the things
3: that wheels hold. And then the little thing that goes in the wheel that helps it turn fast.
2: Yeah. And you can get some grip tape on there. Vanessa. Okay. Vanessa, we can tell you really want to be asked. Uh, Vanessa, do you have a skateboard?
1: Hey, Jonah. Hey guys. I don't even have a tennis racket.
3: That was my thing. Well, we all know what to get you for Christmas then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been holding on to that one. Did you guys think that was funny?
2: <laughs> it's uh that was almost as good as a Wild West kid. Yeah, Let
1: me it's, continue it's, my tight five about skateboards. Okay. If I'm getting a skateboard, you think I'm gonna buy the deck and the wheels? Are- I'll take the whole thing put together, please. And it's time for an <laughs> extra. <laughs> yeah, that's called that's called
2: I think that's called complete. You can get that also. Complete.
1: Uh, I would hope so. What- Am I going to buy a tennis racket and string together the net? You know? I think they
2: sell tennis rackets both ways as well.
1: That's insane.
2: All right. We're going to take a quick break. Maybe Vanessa, maybe get some water, stretch a little, and we'll be right back with our guest, Jamaican.
1: And we're back. Okay, so Jim, now we're gonna play a really fun game with you. It's called change.dork. <laughs> change.dork? And basically, in this game, we also call it, let's make fun of people who don't know how to use change.org. We take a lot of petitions that we found on change.org, which you know we think was probably set up for kind of like social change petitions, but we find a bunch of petitions that seem, I guess, for lack of a better word, very stupid and we're going to read three of them to you and then at the end we're each going to decide which one we would sign if we had to sign one. Now I just want to... they're all real. They're They're all all real. real. Okay. And some of them aren't stupid but none of them are social change. They're all sort of not what you would expect on this site.
2: I'll kick us off and Jim, this is actually incredible because the first petition I found before we did this conversation is about Back to the Future. Wow. Didn't know we would be talking about and it's called Make Back to the Future 4 Happen. You can direct your petition to someone. This one is directed to towards Comcast, Robert Zemeckis, Michael J. Fox, and Christopher Lloyd. It says it's been almost 30 years since the last Back to the Future movie came out and almost 35 years since the first one. Like how Ghostbusters is getting a new sequel next year that is going to be connected to the original films. Could we see this happen for Back to the Future? Robert Zemeckis, the director, said a fourth movie can't be done, but Christopher Lloyd said he wants to see a new sequel. Should Universal Pictures bring back the Back to the Future franchise for one more movie Jim, what do you think Back to the Future 4? Hmm. (laughs) I'm actually surprised no one's tried to make like an
3: offshoot Back to the Future universe kind of thing. I'm sure there's Back to the Future like fan fiction, or I'm sure there's Back to the Future comics that have happened at some point. Sure. With like further, you know, elaborating the world, like further world building of
2: that whole thing. I don't know, man. I'd be torn. It's tough. It's tough because I think like three was already. Pushing it a little for me. Mm. It didn't have the same magic as one or two to me with the the one with like the Wild West and the trains and all that stuff. I think it'd be tough to remake it now. I did actually see Christopher Lloyd last summer in Macbeth, in like a live production of Macbeth. He was incredible and i recently read michael j fox's book there's no time like the future which is a really inspiring great book i mean it, they're still active they're still doing stuff yeah to me it's like you don't really need to to mess with that there's so much time travel stuff already that i feel like you don't need to put another st- and, you know back to the future i think we can just leave it how it is mm-hmm. and and i don't know like you know they'd be recycling like sort of fan favorite moment
3: things but trying yeah. to update them with like somebody else doing them yeah and You know, like, it would just be, you'd cheer for it, but inside you'd be like, I thought It'd be better. Yes. You know, like every Star Wars thing had to have like some kind of like reenactment of the Death Star destruction. Multiple times it was like, we're going to do this again. Yeah. 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 You wasted an opportunity. They're going to do it. Like, come on. Come on. We have those things. Like, I'm sort of dreading the Indiana Jones that's coming out for that reason. You know, sort of like, uh, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I'd be scared. Yeah. Right. On on one hand, I'm glad that it hasn't happened. I'm shocked that it hasn't, though, because it seems like everything. Yes.
1: I thought there were like 10 of them. <laughs> <don't
2: know>. Yeah. <laughs> Vanessa, so what are your thoughts
3: on so this one? I, said I
1: Look, part. if it's a reimagining and you could find a way to put Christopher Lloyd and, and Michael J. Fox in it in a way, like I think that there's a way to do it, but it's like, it's obviously a difficult thing to do or else it would have been done to your point. So, you know. So it's like, I don't know. I don't think this is a bad idea, but I just think as someone who does live that Hollywood lifestyle <laughs> is... <laughs> in the biz, if you will, quote unquote. Sure. Easier said than done. Okay, should we go on to this next Yeah, let's go on to discussion? the next
2: one. Vanessa, why don't you- This,
1: this one, one is Bring Back Trix Yogurt. This one actually has surprisingly 11,038 signatures. Oh my God. So not as much as these petitions usually need to actually bring the food back, but a lot. And also this person made the petition to General Mills and Plate, which I think sometimes these people will like- make it to people and food like this person was really wants to get this petition is taking it seriously is what I'll say I'm not going to read the whole thing but this person says tricks yogurt remains an impressive collaborative effort in the junk food industry canon the delicious flavors once offered sweet addicting treats that surely live on in the hearts and minds of all those who ate them way back when a childhood treat that could fit snugly in a lunchbox or serve as a welcome after school snack before getting homework started Tricks yogurt simply made adolescence more enjoyable to persevere. So, this person's just basically saying, like, a whole generation got to experience this. Now, a whole generation isn't getting to experience it. Sometimes these things don't end in a satisfying way, but this person ended the petition for after all, Tricks are for kids. But the love for Trix yogurt will never vanish from those old enough to recall fond memories of its flavorful bliss. This, I mean, this does seem like it's written by like an eighth grader who's in English class.
3: Yeah, it's like a, write a letter to the company, write a change.org <laughs> yeah. petition as part of your class project here see what happens.
1: So, Jim, what do you think? What do you think about bringing back Trix yogurt? Do you remember Trix yogurt?
3: I don't remember Trix yogurt. It was definitely like the glory days for creative sugar to kids marketing. Yes. in all kinds of all forms any way you
2: could get it. You can't get away with that now for sure. Yeah. yeah. No. Were you allowed to have like sugary kind of foods like this at your house growing up? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I don't remember I don't remember
3: being denied or withheld any of that stuff. It just kind of was like it was around sometimes and then it, it it wasn't, I guess. I don't I don't know. That's really interesting though. Like I wonder it's weird how there was I don't remember any of this stuff when I was in that era about other things from like the 70s, right? It's like now everybody's all about like the 80s things. Yeah. Like foods and these like memories of when you were a little kid in the formidable years of things, like truly formidable years of things. Trying to grasp a taste of that, literally. I don't, I don't know. I'd back it. Okay. Yeah. You know, okay. And there's a lot of weird mashups going on now. with like True. Totally. There's like five different Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereals now.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm tracking all There's of them.
3: There's a Dulce de Leche one. Whoa, there is? Yeah, go stroll through the the cereal <laughs> aisle sometime oh and gosh. we flip out over, over all the Cinnamon Toast Crunch variations they got now. There's a French Toast Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I had no idea. I
1: thought it already was French Toast. I oh, know it's
2: Cinnamon <laughs> Toast, I guess. Cinnamon Toast. I can see a Trix yogurt coming back. Vanessa, what are your thoughts on Trix yogurt coming yeah, back? Yeah,
1: I don't think it's the worst idea. I remember these little containers and that they were like red and said Trix on them. And I thought... Absolutely not for me. If I'm getting yogurt, I'm not looking for tricks. if that makes sense. Sure. But I don't think this is like an insane thing to want. Trix is a very popular brand. You know, maybe it's really good. I don't know. I, I think this is a reasonable... Ask.
2: Yeah. I'm kind of surprised this hasn't with 11,000 signatures. You know, it's made by YoPlate. There are a bunch of comments on this. One comment is, because Trix was the only yogurt I liked, I cannot stand the taste of yogurt. Wow. I know probiotics are good for you, but I'm not about to eat that adult stuff. So I guess if the only way for you to get your probiotics is by dumping a bunch of like artificial colors and flavors and sugar in it, I guess right. it's better than nothing. But I don't think, I don't think this is really yogurt. I think it's probably doesn't have a lot of the nutritional value of actually. I think it's much more tricks than yogurt.
1: Well, it's probably just very sugary, like you said. And and that might kind of cancel out some of the probiotics. Was there
3: actually cereal in it? Or was this the yogurt flavor to be like cereal? If you
2: can see a picture, the yogurt is like fluorescent purple and blue. And and it's like, it looks like tricks colors, which look very unnatural. Yeah. (laughs) I could definitely see like a
3: packaging where you, you know, like how they have granola that flips over into yogurt, where you'd have like, Fruity Pebbles or tricks or Cap'n Crunch that flips over into your yogurt like as a thing. Yeah. Or the cereal yeah. itself kind of gets mixed in, but I, I don't know about like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was a cereal like that when we were in like middle school and high school where it had like the top of it came with like a little container that had like granola in it and you poured that into the cereal. Okay, that stuff absolutely rocked. <laughs> and I hope they still make it or else I'm going to change.org to petition that they do. Okay.
2: Okay. So this one's got a little more, but we'll see. This third one, Jim. Okay. I'm very yes. curious to see where you go with this one. This one is called hashtag sweetness, keep the Florida Panthers goal song. And let's see, this one has got 370 signatures.
1: Okay, not bad.
2: Not bad. And it says, it was announced in June the Florida Panthers were removing Sweetness by Jimmy World as a team's goal song for the 2022-23 season. (sighs) That shouldn't be allowed to happen. The struggle of sweetness is similar to the struggles of the Panthers themselves. Old media members hate the song, but old fans want something more traditional. But those who like it would undoubtedly fight for it to stay. The Panthers are a non-traditional team in a non-traditional market who have spent decades being delegitimized and heckled by the sport's more historically rooted fan base, but have still managed to create a home in South Florida against all odds. Sweetness is more than an incredible song being used for a great purpose. Its place is similar to that of the Panthers, rebellious, daring, underrated, and disliked by those who simply can't understand why it works. And this goes on more.
3: But it was on
1: for a lot longer yeah
2: Jim were you familiar with this petition
3: I'm not familiar with the petition okay. okay I did know that the Florida Panthers were using that song as a goal song Okay they actually presented us with hockey jerseys when we were in um Florida and I have like I have a Florida Panthers Jersey that says "Sweetness" on the back of it, like very generous of them.
2: Yes. How do you feel about the petition about this cause? Do you think it's time for a new song to step in? Do you feel like "Sweetness" deserves? They're really positioning the team as being very aligned with this song and like
4: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and your ideological perspective. You know, you never really know where something's going to end up <laughs> when you send it out into the world
3: and how people right. are going to interpret it and make it theirs. You know, I guess that's sort of
1: right. You weren't like, "Oh, we got to have this beat. We got to write something that the Florida Panthers." (laughs) I got
3: a great idea. Imagine if Florida had a professional hockey team. (laughs) What kind of song would they need as a goal song? Let's work on that today. Right, right, right. Anyone got any ideas? They
1: can play it every time they have a game and never pay us because it's a live event.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It could be like, it's not like George Santos is using us as like his campaign song or (laughs) something. Right, 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 right. right.
1: Although you don't know. Okay, go ahead.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's totally cool that a a professional team would want to use our songs for something fun like that, you know, especially a a fun sounding song. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough to it's tough to really take a a position either way on this. I'm stoked that this person who started this petition found something in it that was really resonated with them.
2: Yeah. This is Jim's art, you know, so it's like hard for him to take a stand. I will say I, I do have an opinion on this, you know, not being related to the band. And I think they should keep the song. Like I feel like they're gonna be hard pressed to find a better song and like they're probably going to replace it with something more modern and I probably yeah. won't like it as much and so I think you got to keep it it's what the fans want and let me say there's a lot of comments on here saying we love this song we want to keep it and it's just leave it leave it alone leave it alone Vanessa what are your thoughts
1: well my thoughts are I wish this person had made the petition out to someone or some company because they if you look I was just looking at it they didn't really direct it towards anyone. So they're sort of putting it out into- The universe. The universe and not really like, who do they want to do it though? Well, maybe you know, someone
2: like me that's going to go to change.org, type in Jimmy World. That's
1: right, that's <laughs> right. That's, if that's right. Any right. Now, this is the 2022, 2023 season. So do we know whether they changed it or not, I guess is what I want to know.
3: This is a preemptive change here. Yeah.
1: Right, right, right. Is it going to change? Yeah. And yeah, Jonah, to your point, same. I haven't been to any Florida Panthers game, at least not this season. <laughs> but I agree with you. I don't think that they should change the song. I think this is a great song. It'd be
3: like tearing down Wrigley Field, you know, because the yeah. Cubs are on a losing streak. You, gotta, you don't do that. You don't do
2: it. You don't mess with that.
1: i like to keep one good thing in Florida.
2: Okay. <laughs> That's a, you're, you're, you got a lot of zingers. That, your tennis racket joke. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you're on the same page as me. Like, let's, yes. let's leave the song. Yeah, we don't need to... Yeah.
1: Also seems really cool that the Panthers like found such a great song because wouldn't you think they... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious how going. they did too. <laughs> it's sort
3: of like a... I mean, it's not like a new popular song. Who pitched this <laughs> Yeah, as an idea back when they started it? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's cool.
2: I'm definitely grateful turning a different audience you know, onto totally. our band that might like it. I like, guess cool. Jim, I got to tell you, people are very passionate about this. I mean, someone says I'm signing this because Sweetness is an amazing goal song. Replacing it would be a federal offense. <laughs> don't you dare change the goal song. Sweetness is an awesome goal song and it has been the icon of one of the most historic seasons in Panthers history. I mean, people are very passionate about this remaining the song.
1: Yeah. I will forever stand sweetness and all it did for us. People really are passionate.
2: There's a lot of, I mean,
3: I'd wager that there's some superstition to it too. Like sure, people are sure. very superstitious about their sport routines, especially if something works. Yes. Yeah. I remember when the Diamondbacks were in the World Series, they kept having the same trumpet player come back to do the National Anthem because they've won all the games that he played
2: at. Wow. Okay. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So I guess now's the time where we vote. We can go to you first, Jim. I only get to pick one. That, you get to, you to can pick, pick one that you One that you would sign. You don't have to actually sign it. No one's going to hold you to that. But if you were to sign one of these petitions, and just to recap, Back to the Future 4, Trix Yogurt, or hashtag Save Sweetness, what are you thinking?
3: I'm going to sign the uh, hashtag Save Sweetness. They didn't address it to anybody. It needs the most help, the most psychic push into the universe it can get. Only 375 signatures on it.
1: I think those 375 people, if they're, if any one of them is listening, they'll be glad that you chose that one. It's
3: about the passion behind the signature, not the quantity of signatures. Yeah, exactly. Vanessa, what about you?
1: I'm going with Save Sweetness. I think I would sign it in a in a heartbeat. And I think, you know, I don't know the answer, but I hope they stay with it. I love that people are so passionate about this. I think it says something good about humanity, even if that humanity's in Florida. Jonah. <laughs>
2: Okay. I'm also going with with Save Sweetness. I think, yeah. I mean, I feel like most sports events, you don't get you know the kind of music that I would actually listen to outside of being at the event. And this is you know obviously a, a band and an, an album and a song. I you know has a big impact on my life, and definitely they should keep it. And the only way I'd say they should replace it, they got to replace it with another Jimmy World song. That's right. You know, so if they want to maybe change it up, change up the playlist. Yeah, that's okay. But but yeah, I think Save Sweetness. Come on, come on, get real. All right. Well, we're all in (laughs) agreement. Jim, where can people kind of find you? Like, what's going on? I know we spoke maybe like six months ago. You had a graphic novel coming out. The band's going on tour. What what are you kind of working on right now?
3: For the rest of the year, we're going to be doing... We're going to be touring. I leave on Friday real soon, coming up here to do some support dates with My Chemical Romance in Australia. Wow. Some of the last 2020 stuff that finally is going to happen. You know, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yes. We're playing Hawaii at the end of March, and then um, we're going to be touring during the summer. Okay. Details so, yeah. are going to f- come soon. You know, just sort of... Uh, you never really clock out of this gig. Right. Yeah. its It just shifts, you know, like, we're going to be making music. We're going to be on the road.
1: And how can people find all the tour dates and all that information and stuff?
3: You could probably go to our website... <laughs> By going to www.jimmyworld.com. There it is. For tour dates, information, and
2: frequently asked question info. (laughs) Got it. Great. My last question is, you're going to Australia, all this stuff, like, having toured so long, like, are you just like a pro at packing or do you still forget stuff?
1: Great question.
3: I never end up wanting something when I get there, but there's always things I don't need. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely overpack. I'm always kind of grateful I have one pair of clothes that is totally clean
2: for the ride home. Yeah. Yeah. That's key. Overpacking better than underpacking. You don't want to be around Australia looking for a USB cable. You know, it's I probably go buy like a double USB charger first thing with like Australian plugs smart smart. definitely catch Jimmy World in Australia if you're down there with My Chemical Romance it's incredible great excuse to go to Hawaii to check them out or hopefully you can hear their song at a Florida Panthers game for the next hundred years Yes. so Jim thank you so much for joining us thanks everyone for listening if you enjoyed that please subscribe to the podcast and keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird where we discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural touchstones like skateboarding
4: Right Rug Flooring.